In 2006, the readers of Time magazine voted on who they thought were the 100 most influential people of that year. Coming in at number 18, just beating out Brad Pitt and Beyonce Knowles, was a guy named Steve Spangler. Spangler is not an actor or a musician. He's not a politician or a reality TV show star. If you ask Steve Spangler what he does, he'll tell you, I make science fun. I'm Cali Cofield, and you're listening to the Physics Buzz podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Steve Spangler about his career as a non-traditional science educator and try to figure out how a science teacher makes it on to Time Magazine's most influential people list. In 2001, Steve Spangler started doing science segments on the Colorado news show News 9. In 2005, he did a demo that became an internet phenomenon. The demonstration is simple. Take one piece of Mentos candy and plop it into a two-liter bottle of Diet Coke. In a flash, the Diet Coke erupts out of the bottle into a fountain six or seven feet high. Spangler did not invent this demonstration, but he did popularize it. Thousands of people have subsequently posted their own videos of the Mentos Diet Coke eruption. It is not often that a science experiment gets that kind of public enthusiasm, but that is exactly what Steve Spangler is going for. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for talking with us today. Isn't that kind of fun? You you pick up the phone and you're going to talk to somebody and they say, <laughs> and by the way, we've got this thing called a podcast. So there's a possibility right now, I think what you're telling me is that people could be running on a treadmill listening to this, uh, or they could be working on their car <laughs> and listening to this as well. We have no idea what they're doing, but they're probably engaged in another activity at the same time, which makes it even more exciting, right? <laughs> exactly. This is we're We're working our way right into people's everyday lives scary. <laughs> anyway, all right. So, uh, Steve, you're, you're here with us on the Physics Buzz podcast. So maybe you could just tell us or how you describe what you do. Give us a short summary. So maybe this would be the same thing that my wife said to me when she says, we're going to the banker and we need a loan and you need to explain to the banker what we do <laughs> for a living so that we can have this loan. Uh, so I, I consider myself an informal science educator who is lucky enough to have assimilated a team of people whose number one goal is to find the most creative ways to make science fun. Uh, our goal internally is to create products and services and videos and ideas that somehow get people talking about science. Uh, when I do teacher trainings, I often say um, the, the metric that we're going to use today is this. If it gets to the dinner table, you win. And when you teach a student and they're so excited about what they learned that day that they'll talk about it freely at the dinner table, you know, somebody doesn't have to prompt them to say, what'd you do? It? They could hardly wait to get home and to share that. That's a pretty good metric in my mind that you've made a connection. And in our particular case, we're trying to make science fun. So Steve Spangler is a non-traditional science educator, or you could say he's a science demoer. A science demo is basically an experiment that highlights a science concept. And science demos can be very technical and very educational, 
but they can also be purely entertaining. In addition to spilling Diet Coke everywhere, demoers like Spangler light things on fire, they create explosions, they perform colorful chemical reactions. In one demonstration, Spangler puts liquid nitrogen in a closed plastic bottle, which he then covers with thousands of ping pong balls. The liquid nitrogen in the bottle warms up and turns into a gas, and it expands so rapidly and with so much pressure that it explodes out of the bottle with such force that it sends the ping pong balls flying in every direction. The reaction from the audience is huge. After a science demo, observers can walk away with a new piece of science knowledge or just the simple notion that science is fun. Certainly it is the entertainment value that has driven much of Spangler's television career. He won an Emmy for his early work doing science segments on a show on NBC called News for Kids. In the last 20 years, he's made over 1,400 television appearances, doing demos on various shows, including Good Morning America. Since 2007, he's become a regular guest on The Ellen DeGeneres Show. He has hundreds of demo videos online. I really hope that you listening out there have had the wonderful opportunity to see a live science demo show. And if not, please check out some of the videos of Steve Spangler doing his demos. We've put some on our blog, physicsbuzz.physicscentral.com, or find many videos at stevespanglerscience.com. But these days, physics demo shows are not extremely hard to find. There are groups of people that do demo shows in schools, many science museums put on demo shows, even amusement parks do them. In some places, you can hire someone to do a science demo show at a birthday party. One of the most popular science demos, which involves using a garbage can to send rings of fog sailing out into the audience is actually used by the Blue Man Group. Obviously, they don't include a science explanation with it, but it goes to show that quite simply, these demo shows are extremely entertaining. Who would have thought that science demos would become a commodity? I grew up in a family of professional magicians, and I have watched over the years the decline of magic and really have seen the surgence of science that's replacing magic in the same venue. Let me give you the example. When a kid comes to you as a teacher and says, could you come to my birthday party and do those science experiments? That has to be one of the ultimate top 10 compliments that a teacher could ever get, which says a whole bunch of different things. It says, number one, our kids are starved for this. Um, if we were providing it to them in class, they wouldn't be asking for it outside of class. Uh, but the second part is that it has become entertaining. And the more creative, uh, more creative ways we come up with presenting the science education, the more people will watch. Growing up in a family of magicians was something that influenced Spangler's career choice, and not just as an entertainer, but as a teacher. I go back to the roots of, of being a magician and growing up in that environment. Um, I think what I enjoyed the most is watching my father teach. So my father was a, and is a wonderful magician, but he had a magic school. 
And in, in Denver with that magic school, there are magicians from all over the world that would come to that magic school. And I loved watching my dad teach the magic class because it was as if people were even more engaged when they were learning a secret. And I used that same technique when I started teaching science. And I thought, what a wonderful way to try to make the students say, how did you do that? Or to inch forward on their chair and reposition and get a little bit closer and just to have that level of engagement. And that I think that uh, the showmanship was a part of that in, in being able to create an environment where students want to know something and they want to learn the secret and they're willing to put in the extra time that's required to be able to learn how to do that. Um, and I think that that's what was fascinating. And magicians, there's so much science in doing magic that you were surrounded by it uh, at the very beginning. My father was famous for coming up with an entire line of chemical magic. So uh, when magicians back in the 70s and 80s were trying to you know, pour two liquids together and it turns jet black, that was a reaction called Think Ink. Uh, today we know that as a, a clock reaction that you might do in school for a rate of reaction kind of, uh, of lab. But to have magicians be able to, you know, think of a color and they pour it into a glass and all of a sudden the glass, uh, the liquid in the glass magically changes to that color. That kind of chemistry thing was uh, what my dad was really known for. So it always had a tremendous amount of science, or at least in my background, there was a tremendous amount of science. It just seemed only logical to be able to use the skill of being able to be a performer and to tie that with the, uh, the teaching aspect and uh, kind of bring a new perspective to teaching. Many people would no doubt view the fame and exposure that Spangler has achieved as the highlights of his career. But when I asked him what he felt the highlight was, he told me about the year that he decided he wanted to be a teacher. Spangler worked in the Colorado school system for 11 years before his career started to shift into non-traditional education. Today, Spangler maintains a contract with the Colorado school system, so he's continually getting into the classroom and using that experience and that feedback to shape the demos that he does for a larger audience. In addition, a major part of his company's work is teacher training, showing teachers how to bring demos into their classrooms. And ideally, the work of professional physics demoers like Spangler goes hand in hand with the work of traditional science teachers. I think it does because I always say that the classroom teacher does the heavy lifting. So I'm the cheerleader. And you can't have a cheerleader without a game, right? It's my job to introduce the concept. It's the teacher's job at the school to be able to use that as a catalyst, as a, a starter, so to speak, to really teach the concept. I can't do it during all the fun on the Ellen Show, uh, but I can get them talking about it so that the teacher has the opportunity to bring it up again. So I'm just presenting it in a different light and hopefully getting people to talk about it. That's really what it's all about. Now, perhaps surprisingly, Spangler says that the relationship between science demoers and science teachers is one that has to be carefully managed. He illustrated that with this story. And I was doing the science assembly program in Denver, and uh, I noticed that there was a teacher uh, about halfway during the program that was not necessarily happy with me. You know that look that mom would give you in church when you're bad? It, you're just those glaring kind of eyes like, oh, you know you're busted as soon as this thing is over. And I could see that this lady was not necessarily that happy. 
Uh, one thing led to another. I'm done with the program, turned it back over to the principal who, you know, is going to release the kids or whatever. And I used that opportunity to kind of sneak off to the side. And I just tapped her on the, on the shoulder and brought her off to the side. And I said to her, uh, I have a feeling I made you upset. And I'm not really sure why, but if you could tell me, it would be great. And uh, she said to me, she said, you've made a game out of teaching. She said, uh, I work very, very hard. And she says, in 22 years, nobody's ever stood up for me and clapped when I did something. And I didn't know what to say. You know, here I am kind of staring in your eyes going, I don't even know where to go with this. And you could be mad and you could be uh, disengaged. But I think what I took home and I told my wife that night um, if I could only teach her to do what I'm doing, and it's not that hard. I had soda bottles and balloons and baby diapers and whatever else we do for our science uh, assemblies. I said, if I could just step back and let the spotlight shine on her, move it over four feet to the right or to the left, and now she gets to be in the spotlight, I, th- I think it would be better. And so that was the conscious decision that I made to stop doing those kinds of school assemblies, the Mr. Wizard shows, so to speak, the hired gun that comes in, and to focus uh, my efforts on teacher training. So that was definitely a defining moment. About a year ago, YouTube commissioned 100 people to create original shows for the online channel. Spangler was among those selected, so he was given a little bit of funding and freedom to make a YouTube show longer than the two-minute videos that he and his team were posting. We thought with the Spangler effect um, at YouTube, so youtube.com slash the Spangler effect, the original concept was take a small experiment and make it big. But the immediate feedback that they got from viewers changed their approach. What we've learned from YouTube, because it gives you immediate feedback and response, is that we watch um, our viewers disengage when it's outside of their um, ability to replicate it at home. People really want to do this stuff at home. So the teachers who are listening right now and the demonstrators and people who are science enthusiasts, we, we can't forget the power of the smallest demonstration when it's recreated at home. As a result, the Spangler Effect is now a highly interactive, hands-on tutorial, and it often features Spangler going through the trial and error that viewers will no doubt experience at home. This change in approach reflects Spangler's core idea that if you listen to your audience, they will tell you how to present the science. And in this day and age, Spangler says the audience is changing even for teachers. Videos on YouTube aren't just bonus material. They are, for many students, the starting point, the place where their curiosity about science begins. And that influences how they learn in the classroom. So let's say that they're intrigued by what they see on television. It's pretty easy with this little thing called Google to go and find a whole bunch of explanations for anything that we're showing. And that level of engagement is, I think, key to this next generation. And and we as teachers need to make sure that we understand the power of that engagement because no longer are we the content manager. We're not the one that that divvies out the knowledge. You know, they don't come to us because we know so much about the periodic table or we know so much about Newton's laws of motion. 
they come to us for an interpretation. They don't know that because they don't know to ask that. Students don't know to ask that. But they're coming to us for an interpre- interpretation, for inspiration, for guidance, for support. Um, but no longer do we have to sit there and show them how much we know about the content. Um, our job as a teacher has really changed over the years, drastically over the last five years. And, and I think that that's unfortunate that some educators either don't embrace that or just haven't made that discovery on their own just yet. And finally, I just had to ask Spengler what he says to students who ask that million-dollar question, why should I learn this? Why should I care about science? You're going to have to do science for the rest of your life. Uh, and you may not be a scientist per se. You may not, might not be in a lab coat and stuck in a lab with a bow tie and glasses and whatever stereotype that we have that's there. But you'll always have to be able um, to think critically. And I think our kids at the elementary level with the advancements that have been made in just in terms of elementary teachers trying to do more real science in the classroom, kids are starting to realize that it's all about being a critical thinker. And we use that you know, in our teaching vernacular, but kids are seeing that immediately, at least my, I have three boys, and my boys are seeing it when they're finding sources on the internet, uh, and they're trying to determine who's right or who's wrong about something, uh, to hear my little guys be able to argue uh, with each other as to which website has more authority, and this one is correct or that one's not correct, um, they're becoming critical thinkers. They're comparing, they're counting, comparing, classifying, observing, measuring, all those things that we say that kids should be able to do. They're able to do that, but never in that moment are they thinking, wow, I'm a scientist. So um, I think we're very fortunate that we don't have kids, uh, at least in, in my circle of of influence that are coming to us going, why do I need to learn science? I think science is at the forefront now. I think our government has uh, been pushing that message now loud and clear for the last four years, and uh, hopefully it will continue um, that it's necessary, uh, but they're not necessarily going to find themselves in a traditional role of a scientist that television or um, or something else would have painted. Um, our scientists are going to, uh, to look a whole lot different, uh, and they're going to uh, be thinking even more differently than, than what we could ever imagine in the past. So how does a science teacher get on Time Magazine's most influential people list? The explanation seems multifaceted, but considering that the majority of people on that list are entertainers of some kind, maybe we're really starting to believe that science is fun. Once again, I'd like to thank Steve Spangler for being on the podcast today. I greatly appreciate it. And now people can get on with the rest of their lives, recharge the battery, go out, smell the fresh air, shoot some hoops. I don't know, but you're done listening. Fair enough? (laughs) Fair enough. Thank you very much. That's all for the Physics Buzz podcast. I'm Cala Cofield. As always, you can find more podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at physicscentral.com. Tune in next week for more Physics Buzz.